0: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises Hello, my friend, and welcome to another episode of Negotiate Anything. Thanks for spending time with us today. If you answered yes to both of those questions, visit our website to learn more about our negotiation workshops. We've traveled the country working with professionals just like you, and we'd love to have the opportunity to work with you too. Check out the link in the description to learn more. Carl, thanks for joining us today.
1: It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. And so how about you get us started by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Thank you.
1: OK, I'm, I'm happy to. So I'm Carl Levaney. Uh, I'm a trial lawyer here in Columbus, Ohio. I practice with the law firm of Carlisle, Patchen, and Murphy. Uh, I'm also a candidate for judge. So I'm on the ballot in November. And uh, that has been uh, a remarkable uh, experience from beginning to end. So we will see how that plays out as we get into the, the, the final term before uh, the finish line and uh, moving, moving forward.
0: Fantastic. Well, we appreciate you taking some time off the campaign trail uh, to, to, work with, to work with us here. And um, I'm excited about this one because we're going to talk about storytelling. And the last time we've had somebody talk about persuasive storytelling, I think it was January 2017. So we are long overdue to revisit really? this topic. And you are especially... Qualified to talk about this because you use it very well as a trial attorney and then also it, as a candidate for judge and so the three things we 're going to talk about today are first we 're going to talk about why storytelling is so powerful as a persuasive technique um, then we 're going to talk about the key elements of a good story, and then we 're going to end up with some war stories, so some of the stories that uh, of, of you using it as a trial lawyer and as a candidate for judge so let 's just start off with number one, why are stories so powerful
1: well, because they 're primal because they 're fundamental. I think you know we, we have been telling stories uh, culturally we 've been telling stories from the very beginning of our culture, but in your life, in my life, in the lives of of, of all of your audience members, stories are a, a fundamental way that they have learned about the, the subjects of the world but also about themselves you know they the way we learn who we are, the way we identify the things that are important to us, are often through the stories about ourselves that we
0: embrace. This is fantastic, and and you're absolutely right, and and I like the word you used, primal, because I think that's a perfect description. And we're really wired for story. Our brains are are wired to um, to get data and understand data and process the world through story. And so it's, you see a lot of times, especially in the business world, we're focusing on numbers, we're focusing on analytics. And of course, those things can be very persuasive. Um, but the reality is they don't often hit home as, as powerfully as a well-told story can. Um, and so for you, what are some examples of, of how somebody could use storytelling effectively maybe as a leader or in the uh, in the business world
1: well that so within my law practice you know one of the things that i've had the good fortune to do over the years is mentor younger litigation associates and uh you know a big part of what a, a lawyer does is write briefs on legal issues and you submit those to the judge and the judge reads them and makes whatever decision they make and and one of the challenges of that is that um you know, at any given time, a court has 600 cases on its docket, and the legal briefs all sort of say, "Wherefore the party of the first part, so and so, referred to henceforth as so and so, does this, and as a result, it is basically the rule that that." And um, I think that's a mistake. I think that's a, a it's a mistake because the 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 thing that moves people, that that allows people to see your frame of reference is the story and so what I tell all of our associates when I when I do mentor them is forget that party of the first part formal legalese have an introduction that reads like a novel have it start with a main character and the things that happen to that main character and some tension and some proposed resolution uh, and if you do that in a well-crafted introduction uh, you will um, you will have them interested uh, in what happens next when you have to necessarily get to all the party of the first part statutory stuff that happens thereafter.
0: Uh, yeah, that that makes so much sense. And I l- I want to focus in on the word you used interested, they yeah. will be interested in learning more, they'll be interested in reading it. And um, I remember on my LinkedIn recently, I posted that um, college does a good job of teaching us how to sound smart, but oftentimes we're not good at communicating. We might sound really smart, <laughs> but we're not communicating effectively. If we're, t-
1: if we're all talking past each other, what's the point, right?
0: Exactly. Exactly. And really what we need to do is number one, simplify the the communication style that we use, simplify the words so people can understand it. But again, the beautiful thing about stories is that people want to listen because they're interested. I consider it the, uh, it's like the Trojan horse theory of persuasion. You wrap your message into something that is actually something that they want to hear. They want to bring it past their, their defenses. And then your little story soldiers go in and, and, and persuade once they've gotten past that wall.
1: I, th- I think that's, that's absolutely fair. I think that's, that's a really accurate way of putting it.
0: Yeah. So in your opinion, what are the key elements of a good story?
1: Well... Um, you need to have a protagonist. you need to have some opposing force to that protagonist or some unfortunate circumstance that happens to that protagonist. You need to have struggle and then you need to have a, a proposed or anticipated resolution uh, and you know I, I guess we're we're lucky or I'm lucky in in the fact that most of my professional storytelling is in the context of trials, and uh, that arena lends itself to a certain kind of drama that is also very much like the character arc of, of, a, uh, of a fictional character in a novel. So, you know, you can, you can tell those stories that serve your client, that frame the thing that the, that the jury is about to see in a way that they can understand and relate back to, to much more common things within their frame of experience.
0: Can I give an example? Yes, please.
1: Okay, so um, I'll I'll be careful how I say this because uh, uh, client confidentiality kind of stuff. But I I had a a case um, that involved um, industry standards, let's say. So the way that a certain very technical thing was to be designed and built according to industry standards. And it was a a computer part, uh, a very finely finished computer part. And um, so, my whole case was going to be about the effects of industry standards. But if I got up there in front of a jury and talked about, okay, this is the industry standard and this is the thing that industry standards are about in this particular highly technical field, people would have just glazed over. No one would have understood. And so, what I instead did was I started my voir dire, which is how you pick a jury, by asking, you know, how many of you folks you know, came through the McDonald's drive-through down the street on your way to the courthouse today. I know I did. I, made, I actually stopped at McDonald's specifically to get a coffee cup so that I could have it on my table so that I could use it as a prop in this story. And a number of the juries raised their hand and I said, when you went through the drive-through, there were two windows, right? And the first window is where you, you know, first you stopped at the sign and placed your order And then you pulled to the first window and you paid, but you didn't get your product there. You got your product at the second window. So you gave them the money and you probably didn't even think about it. You just trusted that the food you had just paid for would be waiting for you at the second window. Why? Because that's the industry standard. That's what an industry standard is. When you pull up, you know to stop at the sign and place your order. You know to go to that first window, place your order, And you trust, because of that industry standard, that you'll get your food at the second window. And ladies and gentlemen, in this case, at the second window, there was no food. Now that's not a a full story, but it has a lot of the narrative components of a story. And uh, it was a way of explaining that fairly sophisticated concepts of the recipes that are used in making this very highly uh, developed computer component uh, in a way that that every juror on that jury could understand without having an advanced technical degree you know we've all gone through a drive-through at McDonald's at one point or another in our life
0: Right. And you know, what's funny about this, Carl, is that as you started to tell the story, when you said, hey, do you mind if I give an example? I knew a story was coming. And I I got this childlike exuberance and enthusiasm where I'm like, oh, I'm going to hear a story. Everybody loves hearing stories. And um, just a pro tip for the audience. If you want somebody to listen to you, say, can I tell you a story? That is one of the easiest ways for people to wrap their attention around something. If you just say, hey, I'm going to tell you a story, it's like priming them to listen because we want to hear those stories. And the thing that I like about your story right there is that the protagonist in that story was somebody who was relatable. It was so simple, but we've all been through that situation. And then you could really empathize with the shock and surprise um, and feeling of almost betrayal that would come at the end when you get to that second window and you don't get what you paid for. Does your company invest in professional development training? If you believe that your team would benefit from a negotiation workshop, all you need to do is go to our website, fill out the workshop request form, and then we'll set up a time to chat. These workshops are completely customizable and we've done them all around the country. From the minds of visionaries to the desks of disruptors.
1: I'm Lars Schmidt, host of the Redefining Work podcast. Join me each week as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. Thank you, yes, and it was really important to to take an approach like that in this particular case, because I wasn't representing an individual um, that folks would naturally relate with. I was representing an aggrieved corporation uh, and a pretty big one. And so by telling that story and getting the jurors to put themselves in that seat in their own car at the second window, um, not only did it explain the concepts of, of industry standards to them, but it also got them... Um, thinking about this sort of abstract concept of a corporation in in a much more personalized way. Um that's right. so important to me.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Makes yeah. a lot of sense. You want to create a sympathetic character in this right. right? And so let's say people are listening and they say, all right, Carl, you've convinced me. I like the stories that you told. I now I want to do it. I want to be a persuasive storyteller in my negotiations, in my difficult conversations as a leader, when I'm motivating my team, I want to get better as a storyteller. What are the main mistakes that people make that hold them back from being effective at this?
1: I think, I think part of, um, the loss of storytelling to the extent that we've suffered from it in the last 20, 30 years, um, has been uh, a function of social media and time pressures in our culture. People are used to immediate short answers and they rush right down the center of it. And really good stories almost never work that way. In a really good story, before you talk about the thing, you often talk about the stuff that's around the thing. And so, It's important to set the stage. It's important to take your time. You you want to be respectful of people's time, but you, you need to take a moment to provide a context. If you simply say, here's the guy, and here's the thing that happened to the guy, you've really lost that opportunity to say, can you just imagine what it must have been like in that moment? when he rolls down his window at the second window of the drive-through, and he can imagine what the food's gonna taste like, and he's ready for it because it's been a long day, and he's tired, and he's hungry, and he's paid his money, and then there's nothing. And, and that's so much more effective, just that little bit that I just threw together there, I did not say all that to the jury, um, but, but just using that as an example, that's so much more effective than saying, And he pulled up to the second window and there wasn't anything there. You know, by taking your time, by building up a little bit of the framework to put your audience into the context where the scene is going to happen, uh, you tap, I think you said it before you tap into an emotional response that really is primal. It really does come from childhood. It comes from your, uh, the stories that your parents would tell you when you were, uh, you know, a, a toddler or, or uh, an elementary school kid, uh, and it, it goes back to the the pictures that are painted on cave walls, and you know, uh, in in Europe from uh, uh, from uh, prehistory. You know, you, you go into some of those caves in uh, Lascaux, France, and there are stories of hunts. And those stories, by the way, they're not just pictures. They have a start. They have a middle. They have an ending. They have conflict in between. And it's not even in a language that we recognize. It's their pictograms. But they they tell a story in a pre-literate society through the images and the pictures of the protagonist at the front of those, at, at the place where you're supposed to begin in those pictures isn't the same visually as what happens at the end, the same representation of that same character because of the narrative arc of their story. I think that's right. amazing.
0: Yeah, and again, let's go back to that term primal because when we're talking about that, those feelings, these emotions, we have to understand the power of those emotions because we always think that we are just rational actors. That was always the thing, especially when you think about economics, when you think about law, we assume rationality. Uh, Then we get out into the real world after we leave the ivory tower and we say, where are the rational people? (laughs) I was told they're out here somewhere. And the reality is when you look at the psychological studies, time after time, it shows us that decision-making is an emotional process and usually the logic comes at the end after we've already emotionally come to a conclusion then what we're doing after the fact is we are rationalizing the decision that we've already made so it's critical for us to tap into that emotional piece and when you talked about the the problems that people often run into when it comes to storytelling not giving enough detail not taking the time to build the story but at the same time being respectful of people's time really what we're trying to do is we're trying to find that goldilocks zone for this story, not too short, not too long, enough detail, but not too little detail and nailing the punchline. Because like you said, if I just said, yep, the food wasn't there, you ran through the punchline and you missed that that emotional punch that comes at the end. And so what I would suggest people do is test out your stories. Almost treat yourself like a stand-up comedian because when you see a stand-up comedian at the end when they're, they're doing their special, they've gone through it a hundred times in different audiences and they've recognized what, the way that people like the story being told and what, the way that they don't. And so if it's a really critical negotiation or um, conflict that you're trying to resolve, test the story out with a couple of friends, get some feedback, make those adjustments. So then when it's actually time to perform it, you're really sharp and the story is really tight.
1: I think that's that 's exactly right you know by by coincidence i I filmed a commercial for my uh, for my campaign yesterday, and it 's just a little fifteen second spot that 's going to air uh, a little later in the season right before election day and you know it 's only fifteen seconds, but on the drive over to where we were filming it, I spoke aloud to myself the entire time in the car practicing how I was going to say most of the words that I ultimately say. I personally don't like to have every single bit of it scripted um, in an inflexible way, because I think you lose some of the spontaneity of, of the moment. And I think spontaneity, which is that feedback from your audience, um, also can be, can be effective. Um, but I practiced the, putting the things I wanted to say in various orders to see what resonated the best.
0: Yeah, that's a great example. And let's yeah. transition now to the, the war stories. The, uh, the stories from your experience as a trial lawyer, we got a taste of it there too, but also as a candidate because creating a, a powerful story for your candidacy is going to be important because again, this is a persuasive endeavor. And so for you, what are the key stories that have been beneficial to you on the campaign trail?
1: Well, as, as, a, as a candidate, I think that there's a lot of value in explaining not just who I am, but why the voters, the audience, should care who I am. And so you know, oftentimes, you'll see a political candidate, particularly a judicial candidate. We can't talk about big public policy issues in quite the same way that other political candidates can. There's rules that affect the things that a judge or a judicial candidate can talk about. And those rules exist for a good reason but they do tend to force judicial candidates into sort of a dry recitation of their biography. Um, And I don't think that fundamentally that's what voters care the most about, nor do I think that it it should be what voters care the most about. They really should care about um, why you're the right person for this office, why they should put their faith in you. And so I tell stories um, about, about that more than about, I went to school at this place, and I graduated uh, at this point in my class, and I've had this experience and that experience. I I often, in front of a room, and it's hard now with COVID, because you don't get quite that same feedback uh, on a Zoom call that you would in a room full of actual people. Um, But I I like giving 15 seconds of, I'm Carl I've got 24 years of trial experience in courthouses all over the state. a litigation partner at one of the larger law firms in town, I'm highly recommended by the Columbus Bar Association. But frankly, I'd like to talk about something else if that's all right with you. And then I launch into the other things that I want to talk about. And the first thing that I often talk about is judges matter. You know, here's why you should care about it. Judges affect people's lives more directly than other branches of government. A judge has more power over you in the moment you're standing in front of a judge than a mayor or a county commissioner or a city council person or even a president. Um, So judges matter. And and that's sort of framing the why you should care about the thing I'm about to tell you. Uh, And then once I've gotten them to that place and and sort of gotten their buy-in that, yeah, that's right, I guess judges really do matter, and they do, then I talk about some anecdotes that are um, designed to create drama and tension. So for example, I often tell people, uh, and, and it, 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 I don't wanna have it just sound like this is a technical, you know, uh, magic trick that I'm doing, it's not. It, it is actually designed to give information about me that I actually think voters are going to want to care about. Um, so I will say something like, as many of you know, I ran for judge in 2018, and I lost that race by 931 individual votes out of a swing of 365,000 votes cast, uh, with, a, with a little bit of a pause there, and, and, and in a race that was too close to call for almost a month. Why do I include that information? Is that something that directly affects the race that I'm in right now? It does, but not in a a direct linear, sort of right down the middle kind of way. It's telling, it's it's getting the audience of voters to say, oh, this is a guy that has seen some things. that has been, you know, can you imagine the disappointment that goes with that? Can you imagine, what did he do next? And then I tell the story of why I'm doing it again. And by by taking that moment and setting the stage on the front end of it, rather than just saying, I've run for judge uh, before and I'm running again, or even forget not even mentioning the, the past uh, race. Part of what it's doing is getting the jury or the voter or the audience to, to stand in my shoes for a moment and to understand the thing that I want them to understand the most about me, which is that I'm a relatable human being that has had, like them, successes and failures that i'm working to do to to do things that are important to me and for our community and that they can put their faith in me in the same way that they can put their faith in themselves and so when i start there with you know it's it's funny um howard stern uh i guess came out with a movie about himself a few years, I don't even know why I remember this, but Howard Stern came out with a, a movie about himself and the place where he starts in his movie is the most embarrassing thing that happened to him in his career. And then he rewinds from there and, re- and then moves forward. And so he, he starts with the most awful thing, the most public awful thing that ever happened to him, where he tried something that he thought was gonna be funny and it completely bombed and offended everyone. And from that place, he then tells the story of how he got there And once he's done that, he tells the story of how he moves forward from that to to the present. Uh, And I think that's a really, really effective way of framing a story.
0: Carl. This is fantastic. I, um, audience, I'm gonna pull out some of my favorite gems from this because this is really great. And so let's start off with this. Everybody knows that in business and life, especially in politics, we will go with people who we know, like, and trust. And you're able in this story to hit on all three of those things. And um, it reminds me of a study as a, somebody with a psychology degree. Um, I, I really love nerding out on these store these studies. They had a study where they had somebody who was very professorial, very smart, intelligent, um, speaking on a recording. And so he was talking very intelligently about the topic. And so that is what the control group heard, just a flawless presentation. And then in the other group, what they did was they had the same guy speaking, but then at some point they had it sound like he spilled something on himself. And then he cleaned himself up and continued speaking. And at the end they asked, which one did you like more? (laughs) <laughs> and the people like the guy who spilled stuff on him more. Because the thing is, we don't trust perfection because we know it's not real. And so being able to humanize yourself like you did in that story is, is incredibly powerful because it makes you more relatable. And so you'd started off at the beginning, just a few seconds, just saying who you are, the experience that you have, and the fact that you work, on, work at a prestigious law firm, Carlisle, Patchin, & Murphy. I happen to be there too for everybody. <laughs> and so here's the thing though. You wanted to establish that baseline level of intelligence, but you know that only gets you so far when it comes to this persuasive endeavor. They just want to know you can do what you say you can do. And you handle that very briefly and very sufficiently and efficiently at the beginning. And so then you set the stage by talking about how important it is to have a judge, to to be that judge and the gravity of the situation. Because I don't think even lawyers sometimes who might be more transactional, I don't think they fully appreciate just the power that a judge has over the citizens in these cases. And you really do a great job of outlining that so people recognize this is something I should actually pay attention to. And then you use a story to create tension by talking about the heartbreak that you experienced. And this is where you humanize yourself. Carl went through something incredibly difficult. And you really tease that out so they can empathize with you, so they can feel that pain that you felt. But then they can relate to the fact that you're coming back. This was this is recent. This only happened two years ago, but you're right. still coming back. And people love to see that comeback character and they want to be part of that story as well. And so I, I think this is an, an incredibly well-crafted uh, approach to trying to persuade the voters.
1: Yeah, thank you. I, and like I said, I, it's, it's important to emphasize this isn't just about technique. It is also about... Um, it, it is also an important part of why I think voters can actually, you know, trust me as a candidate. And it is an opportunity for me to, um, to talk about other and bigger things. I, I, I do a presentation to, um, uh, a teen group every, every couple of years is unrelated to my campaign where the theme is, um, the the theme is fail better. There's a, a Samuel Beckett poem that I love and it's very short and it's ever try, ever fail, no matter, try again, fail again, fail better. That's it. That's the whole poem. And, and I think that there's real value in telling people stories about failure for, for lots of reasons, but in part to give them the courage to try and to fail things as well. Um, so I hope that I'm tapping into some primal, uh, some, some primal um, um, mechanisms, but I also hope that I'm inspiring the people that I'm talking to, number one, in, in a campaign to, to, to think about our democracy in, in a particular noble way, because it really is. Uh, and number two, I am trying to counter a certain narrative that's out there about a cynical narrative about uh, our democracy and about uh, people that run for public office. And so those are, I guess that's another piece of storytelling that we haven't really fleshed out, but is also important, which is what are the other stories that are going to immediately be in people's minds when you are telling your story? And how do you respond to uh, and either embrace those other stories that they may be thinking about, uh, or, or find ways to reject them in a way that's palatable, um, you know. And you see that. Look, every every movie you go to has Easter eggs, and those Easter eggs are making little inside jokes about other other movies, other stories, other cultural narratives, winks and nods to the audience that that address what the audience's expectations were coming into the movie. Um, we do the same thing in other parts
0: of our lives. Right. This is great. And, you know, something else that we haven't had a chance to talk about, and I know we're coming up on time, but I want to give you an opportunity to uh, to, to talk about this because we've been focusing so much on storytelling and persuasion on the micro scale. So one on one or maybe you with the jurors or things like that. But it's this particular interaction where we're trying to persuade using storytelling as one of our major persuasive tools but we can also use storytelling as a persuasive tool on in the macro sense personally when it comes to personal branding and one of the things that i really admire about you is that you had this vision for the way that the court system can work in a way that can promote equity and inclusion within the court system and even though things didn't turn out the way that you wanted to in 2018 you still pursued this. And I think this for you is an, a major part of your story and speaks to your character. Can you tell the, the audience a little bit about that one too? I would love to. Thank you.
1: Um, well, if, if where we left off was me losing in 2018, the next piece of the story is what I did next. And that was go to, well, first I reflected for, for about a month. And then I went to the guy who had just beaten me and said, I have an idea for how to make our courts better. And I would like you to be on board. Because if you join us, that's about good public policy and not just about politics. And the idea was bringing child care to our courthouse, which is an issue that I'm really passionate about. When I say child care to our courthouse, uh, I don't mean just for county employees, although certainly for them too, but also for defendants, for victims of crime, for witnesses, and especially for jurors. The fact that we don't have childcare for jurors operates as a structural barrier that prevents full and inclusive participation in our jury system by an entire segment of our of our society, which is effectively single parents. Um, and the fact that our jury pools underrepresent those voices has to have a distortive effect on how our justice system works. So this is an issue I'm really passionate about. It's an issue I've been working on for a couple of years. And in telling that story it was important to me that the first adopter, the first person on board, was the guy that had just beaten me. Uh, And for a whole bunch of reasons, one of which is to say something about me. But another thing, and another equally important part of it, is saying something about how our society can work, uh, how it should work. And so uh, by, by choosing that frame, first to build the story, and then to tell the story, um, it, it, I think it does a valuable service, uh, I- independent of the substantive thing that we're talking about. I want people to say, you know what? We can come together once an election's over uh, across party lines. We can do that. These two people who spent all year competing against each other can work together on the next thing together. And isn't that, you know, isn't that what America is all about, too? Um, so it was important to me from a, from a narrative perspective, it was important to me for something more deep and fundamental than simply how the story is told as well. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to to talk about that for just a minute.
0: No, well, thank you for doing it, first of all, and also for for serving as such a powerful model for how we can work collaboratively with each other. And I think that's really one of the main messages of the podcast, just demonstrating how we can have these difficult conversations in order to make our society, our community, our workplaces better. So kudos to you, my friend. I I really appreciate you taking some time uh, with us and, and sharing your expertise. And so for the listeners who are interested in connecting with you, what's the best way to reach you?
1: Well, so www.carlavaney.com is my campaign website, and I invite your listeners to visit me there and learn more about what we're trying to do and reach out. And, and if any part of this has uh, inspired someone to enter into public service as well, I, I love hearing those stories, and I would welcome uh, a chance to, to hear from your listeners. Thank you.
0: Fantastic. Thanks again, Carl. We really appreciate I'm grateful. it. I'm grateful. Thanks, all. Congratulations, you've just joined an elite club. By listening to a full episode, you're now officially on the Negotiate Anything team. So welcome aboard. What most team members do is they subscribe to the podcast because that allows them to automatically get the latest episodes of the show. The best things in life lie on the other side of difficult conversations